as I understand it. Rectangle of mediocrity. Wow, Craig, that was some outstanding stuff. Whatever, Kevin. You sound like a real nerd. I'm grooving. Now I'm going off on a rant. Our guests are the meat to our stale bread. And it is another edition of the Channel Partners podcast. I'm Craig Galbraith, executive editor with Channel Partners and Channel Futures. Joining me is always the man with turkey in his DNA, our business development director, Mr. Kevin Morris. Kevin, how are you? <laughs> Craig, another outstanding intro as always, and you're spot on. I definitely have turkey in my DNA as I am often called a turkey. With Thanksgiving approaching, I'm getting excited to have like a 45-pound turkey uh, to myself. How about you, man? How you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm excited for Thanksgiving, too, my friend. Uh, coming up here in just another week. Uh, looking forward to the turkey and all the trimmings, and uh, it's going to be a good time. What's going on with this music I hear in the background, buddy? I'm assuming there is a theme here? Yeah, I took the reins of the DJ back from you because I think you gave us some teen pop last week, and it just wasn't working for me. So this is uh, back to our theme of the number of episodes we've had. This is oh. 48. Yes, 48 by Sunny Day Real estate, a band that probably not that many people in our audience are familiar with, but a couple of these gents went on to uh, join a band with uh, Dave Grohl, a certain band you would know as the Foo Fighters. I am familiar with both Sunny Day Real Estate. Craig, as you know, we share uh, similar musical interests, but very familiar with the Foo Fighters. So this means it's our 44th episode then? Uh, no, uh, that would be 48. Uh, 48 is the name of the song. In fact, I just said that uh, about a minute ago. Oh, roger that. I, I thought it was the new math, buddy. Sorry about that. <laughs> So let's get into it here, buddy. What have you been up to lately? I understand we might have a P-double-D, as we say. Absolutely. It's a personal deep day. Well, I just got back from a company leadership retreat, so now I guess I have to be a little more mature. Probably not going to happen on this podcast, though. Uh, away from work, I went to a little neighborhood art show since we last talked, saw some pretty cool stuff, and now I guess I'm just getting pumped up for Turkey Day. How about you? Wait a minute. Before we get to me, did you just say you were sent to a company leadership retreat? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happened. I guess they're trying to take the people with the least leadership skills in the company and then send them to this. So at least we can get caught up with the rest of you. Well played, Craig, because you know I was about to go that route and say they send the people that need the most work. So uh, you beat me to the punch on that one. <laughs> uh, as for myself, Craig, uh, I've been spending a lot of time following up with folks from our largest Channel Partners Evolution show ever, uh, saying thank you, as we should at this time of year always, to them and to all our listeners and to everyone that supports Channel Partners throughout the year. Additionally, uh, we're going to be announcing this on the next podcast, I believe, but get ready for what I would like to call Channel Partners International Expansion. So we're talking a lot behind the scenes about that. More to come on the next edition of the podcast. And also taking a lot of the feedback we've received from the most recent show and creating a few more, uh, I'd call them platforms for our partners and our vendors to engage with one another while at the show. As we know, every hour while you're traveling is valuable because that's time away from the office. So we want to make sure you get the most out of it when you're at a Channel Partners event. Wow, that international thing got me pretty excited. You'll fill us in on that in a couple weeks, no doubt? Uh, you better believe it, buddy. It's, it's going to be huge. 
All right, well, let's talk about what else is going on here at Channel Partners Central. We do spend a lot of time talking about our shows, Channel Partners Evolution, which you just mentioned, and the Channel Partners Conference and Expo. But we don't always talk a lot about the media side, and we've got some excitement. Yeah, we've got some excitement there to discuss. We are revamping our sister site, Channel Futures. On the back end, we're going to a new content management system. That part is incredibly boring. Hopefully our listeners (laughs) didn't just turn us off. (laughs) But what that means is the website itself will get a sharp redesign. Now, if you're familiar with the Channel Partners online site, Kevin, I hope you are. Uh, I've heard of it. (laughs) The new Channel Futures will have a somewhat similar look and feel. Although it could be even better because we took what we learned from the Channel Partners revamp last year and applied the best of that to the new Channel Futures, adding some bells and whistles in the process. So Channel Futures, which last year brought together classic channel sites such as MSP Mentor and The VAR Guy, will also feature a huge, say it, huge focus on security. And we'll talk about that a little more uh, just a little later in this show. But look for this revamp to be live uh, sometime next month. So it's coming up uh, pretty soon. Greg, like our fall show, it sounds like uh, our Channel Futures website is evolving with the times. I cannot wait to see this. Uh, Knowing that you're one of the drivers behind it, I have absolutely no doubt that it will be phenomenal, sir. Well, it's good to have your confidence there, buddy. I I do appreciate that. I'm an army of one, probably, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll I'll take it. One's better than none. (laughs) You know, a big focus of the Channel Futures uh, revamp website will be technology, of course. And and a colleague of ours, one who is well-known on this podcast, thanks to you awarding him the Channel's Got Talent grand prize for being able to lick his elbow, Oh, I know who's coming. Yeah, our loyal listeners will know what I'm talking about here. For the rest of you, I'll spare you the details. Uh, You can always go back to episode 46 of the podcast and see what I'm talking about. I am talking about Channel Partners and Channel Futures news editor, the young man we like to call our resident millennial, James Anderson. James recently stumbled across a transcription service. Uh, You know, he does a lot of recorded interviews uh, to write up stories for the website. He was looking for one that would save him the time of typing out everything that his interview subject said. So being a technology reporter and an esteemed one such as James, a Channel's Got Talent award winner, I have to assume that this new technology is just unbelievable. It is earth-shattering, groundbreaking, just absolutely dominant, like a new episode of The View. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Those ladies bring it every time. Uh, But we're going to let our listeners be the judge of that. So let's go ahead and welcome James to the show to help us out with this segment. James, how are you? Guys, there's a lot of uh, ways I could describe how I'm doing today, but just to use one short word, I'm doing outstanding. The birds are shining, the sun is chirping, and I'm just happy to be here with you guys. Well, first of all, that was much more than one word, Uh, but it's glad to hear you are outstanding like a farmer in his field. (laughs) More than one word, classic editor, James. Let's break things down. Let's tell the audience what's going on with this new technology. Is it saving you a lot of time? It Well, is... um, Saving me a lot of time doing what, I guess you would ask. It did not work well, but although it did not actually transcribe any of the sentences correctly or hear any of the my interviewees' side of the phone call, where there's mystery, there's margin, as we've heard in the channel. And there is a lot of mystery 
with this transcription service. So there's that. I got that going for me. I have a feeling this margin you're talking about is going to be positive when it comes to comedy. Uh, it's going to be one of those old Mad Libs books, if you're familiar with those. Uh, James, how about we read some of this auto-transcription? You want to set up the scenario here, who you were interviewing, what it was about. You know, you can protect the uh, innocent by not mentioning names, but uh, hit us with the generalities anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, I was doing a little, a little, little pre-brief with a cybersecurity provider talking about some new services and opportunities that partners had. But if you went into uh, the transcript that this application wrote down for me, you would be getting a, a very different story. So I thought it was pretty funny. Wow. I, I can't wait to hear it. So uh, how's this going to work? You're, you're going to play the role of, of you, I guess. You're going to read the transcribed question that you uh, gave to these folks, and then I will read the answer. Is that uh, right, at least as far as how it was transcribed? Totally fine. I'll take the Q's. You take the A's. Okay. All, all right. Let's do it. Fire away. <clears throat> Here we go. Okay. Well, they're going to be tough people for 30 years and 20 years ago. A lot of things. A lot of the ability of the fight. You think they kidnapped you, but you have to walk to another purpose. Or, you know those things were not available to you? It seems like news doesn't work. The knowledge in the market has increased whether the technology. Correct, sir. Is that correct? You know, maybe some of what happened is Dow Man, an HP guider, after we've gone. Look, I think you have extensive lines. Gondo, Gondo, you think now people will work on it. I like your public in an airline like that. But once you do that Audi moisture from the around, oh, Kevin, yeah. what did you think of that? Uh, did you get enough out of that to understand what that interview was all about? I'm just wondering if you both were reading what was transcribed correctly. I mean, that was... That was awful. James, uh, what, what? anything you can offer us on the topic? I mean, you know, certainly certainly, there's there's an ominous tone to that. You're really concerned about the Audi moisture from the around. That's concerning. I think just the way it leaves you hanging, you got to wonder, what's with the Audi moisture and why do I have it? Well, anybody who's owned an Audi knows that moisture can be a problem, especially when it's raining. Right. Yes. And I'm just going to Google search Gondo and find out who this person is because thinks or she thinks uh, their people will start working on it. So I need to know what all this is. Is it a new super loop? Something really oh, cool a, we don't even know well, about? No, he's a Muppet. He's Gonzo's um, younger cousin. Oh, understood. Oh. Well, that explains a lot then. So, James, why don't you hang on there, and, and we'll get back to you uh, a little bit later in the show, because uh, we want to get another one of these, because that was uh, that was pretty entertaining. Sound good? It was a good time. Looking forward to it. All right, so, Kevin, it sounds like James really could have used some different open-source software there, uh, much like what our first guest provides. Craig, that leadership training taught you something. Outstanding segue, sir. With that, let's welcome in Mike Kerr. Mike is the director, North America Channels and Alliances with SUSE. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing very well. How are you guys? Doing great. We're great. Glad to have you on the podcast. I uh, wanted to start off by asking you, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company? We are actually one of the best kept secrets here in, in North America and the U.S. specifically. We play in an operating system space called Linux. And we are a 25-year-old company based in Germany. We work in this open source community-based environment that offers our users and our customers an alternative to much more expensive OS systems that they may traditionally use. 
A lot of our history is tied in with the fact that we're a bit unique because I think we've been acquired four times now. We're real good at acclimating. I think one of the unique characteristics is our logo is a chameleon. And if you think about a chameleon, it can turn whatever color is in its surrounding. And that's something that we take great pride in as far as the IT industry. We are very flexible. We're pliable. We're almost like Gumby or Stretch Armstrong from that standpoint, (laughs) that uh, we allow our users and our customers to really dictate to us how they utilize our services and our support. Mike, I have to say uh, you're in the right industry then to be familiar with acclimating and evolving uh, here in the technology industry. Absolutely. It's a flexible environment. There are so many changes in IT going on as far as funding mechanisms, lines of the business getting involved. You know, people can show up one day and think that they're working on Project X and all of a sudden it's Project Y because a different line of the business says that this is mission critical and the executive team agrees with that. So it is a tumultuous, but yet really exciting time to be in the IT industry. I was bracing myself there for a joke from Kevin comparing me to Gumby or something like that, but hey, didn't come. (laughs) You're more of a stretch arm. So Mike, you had mentioned uh, those acquisitions and, you know, we recently heard that SUSE is being acquired by growth investor EQT as announced over the summer. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what that means for partners? Yes. EQT is a Swedish private equity company that has a unique characteristic compared to what we see here in the U.S. especially that would be characterized as venture capitalist companies. A private equity company like EQT is actually a growth company. So when we look at the characteristics of EQT's portfolio, It's very interesting. They own over 80 companies globally. Their total revenues and value are in excess of $110 billion. Many times when a private equity firm comes in, people run for the doors because they're going to be worried about cutting jobs. This company, when you look at their four to six year evaluatory history, actually grows their employee base on an annual basis of plus 10% per year. Their sales actually increase in that same framework at a plus 10% per year. And their EBITDA actually grows at 11% per year. So we are absolutely thrilled to be associated with a company like EQT because of the fact that, you know, we are this a little bit uh, of an anomaly here in the U.S. especially where our chief competitor is pretty much a household name. A company called Red Hat is who we compete with day in and day out in this traditional Linux space. But as far as this acquisition, the total of it's the dumbfounding thing. It's $2.535 billion that they're paying for SUSE. And when we look at the feedback that their executive team are providing the public at large, it's all about growth, where we are growing at plus 15 to 20% per year, which is outstanding in the technology industry. They look for stability in leadership because of the fact that uh, unlike uh, a venture capitalist company bringing in their own CEO, they're actually retaining our executive leadership team as it stands. So it's very unique. It's it's a culture-driven environment. I wouldn't call it a typical high-risk, high-reward. I would just say it's a high-reward. 
And along with the fact that EQT is spending $2.535 billion on us as we break away from microfocus, IBM just a week ago actually tendered an offer for Red Hat of $34 billion. So it's a very exciting segment of the industry. And we think that we're in a great place moving forward because of the fact that the company that we'll be associated with is a grower, not a cutter, break apart and sell off the pieces. Exciting time, certainly, Mike. I I wanted to ask you about the long history of working with SAP. Maybe you can share some of that background, what it means for partners and their customers, as well as the current status of that relationship. Yeah, SAP is a a very interesting scenario. And my personal history with SAP goes all the way back to, I worked for Pennzoil Quaker State Company back in the 90s. And back in 97, 98, Pennzoil was one of the first SAP customers in North America. So it was quite ironic that almost 20 years later, I end up at a software company that really has a 25-year history. It's actually 18 or 19 directly with SAP. The unique part of it is our two corporate headquarters in Germany are actually about 60 kilometers apart. So they're literally in the same geographical area of Germany. Our history with SAP is one of tremendous success, tremendous innovation. Our products are the products that SAP actually developed new products on. They also developed their enhanced versions of existing products on SUSE. And we actually have separate SKUs that are directly geared towards the SAP environments and the needs that they have. So it's a very exciting time as far as SAP goes, because there is a tremendous migration that's going to be going on over the next six or seven years, which is a migration to SAP HANA, which means that when these workloads that are out there in the SAP community need to be migrated in the customer environment, HANA has to be migrated to Linux. And there are only two choices for that offer. That is SUSE and our competitor, Red Hat. So we work very closely. We actually have multiple engineers in the actual German headquarters of SAP who are dealing with their developers on a day-by-day basis. So it's a very exciting time, a lot of opportunity here in the U.S., especially for us at SUSE. And yeah, again, it's familiarity with this company that we've actually grown up with. So, Mike, we're talking about all this exciting stuff and all these opportunities that are available with SUSE. I'm guessing that a lot of folks in our audience are wondering, what does your channel structure look like and what types of partners is SUSE interested in working with? I've actually just celebrated my one-year anniversary at SUSE. Our North American leader, a gentleman named Chris Lurson, and I worked together at previous companies in the industry in the channels organization of those. And as we came to SUSE, we wanted to look at things that were more indicative and in tune with what SUSE is, and that is principally being a software company with tremendous flexibility 
we had to look at our channel organization and do something a bit different. So we took what was entirely a field-based channel organization and actually moved several of the support mechanisms and selling motions inside. One of the neat things that we have at SUSE is at one time, Novell Corporation owned SUSE as a standalone company. And Novell built this beautiful headquarters uh, in Provo, Utah, that Microsoft assumed. And that is directly, I mean, you're literally 35 miles from Salt Lake City in what is recognized as a technology corridor in the West. And, you know, has significant opportunity for very qualified employees. We were able to build out this internal structure supporting things like our distributors and giving our partners access to just-in-time information live with support, with talking to an individual, not going to a website. So we built out this internal organization so that we were available literally 24 by 7, 365 days a year. So with that, the types of partners that we look for are a little bit different. We talked a little bit earlier about SAP partners. Yes, we are definitely in tune and in sync with many partners that have SAP either as their standalone practice or as part of a portfolio of solutions that they offer. One of the characteristics that we really drive to identify and recruit are companies that have experience with developers because so much of our industry is evolving and continues to evolve around the internet of things, around AI, around data privacy, data access, data security, and things. So we need to have a little bit more complex partner structure than maybe a, you know, a normal software or hardware company does, especially because of the fact that we are non-proprietary as far as the type of software company that we are. We look for very creative, different approaches to the marketplace, as well as some standard operating procedures around the ability to work with the distributor network that we use here in North America, as well as globally. Partners who add to our relationships within our end customers are especially attractive to us. So many times we are continually looking for partners that are in the environments of our current customer structure as potential SUSE partners so that we can look at things like wallet share enhancement within the customer and things that we aren't all calling on the same people. We actually are looking for incremental relationships in those customer environments. That sounds like a really great opportunity for our audience, uh, Mike. I wanted to ask you about a year ago, I believe it was, that MicroFocus, your current parent company, acquired HPE Software. So how has that changed the SUSE product portfolio? That's a great question. I think the real change has been in the evolution of what, as I said, we, we are known as a Linux-based open source company, but yet there are trends in the industry that we needed to address. And you can either build those natively, you can acquire existing infrastructure, existing solutions, or you can acquire you know, what could be a solution and then build to your ultimate desire as far as 
product offers. We have actually expanded our Linux footprint to especially address three very important areas of the market. The first is cloud. We have an OpenStack cloud product. We have what we call a hybrid cloud environment capability. We can assist with private cloud builds. We can assist with public cloud builds. We work with a number of cloud service providers who will provide that public source and entity to our customers. So cloud is a very important piece of our company moving forward. In addition to that, it's almost cloud 1.2 is something called containers. And containers are a, not only a desire, but a necessity for companies that do any application development, enhancement of existing solutions that they have, and things that they need to share, they need to be portable, they need to be movable. And what we've done is partner with a company called Kubernetes and develop our container offer. And it's very interesting because Kubernetes is also an open source company that's actually part of the Google hierarchy. So it's a very interesting dichotomy, but it's a hot topic. When we talk about containers in public conference environments, the conversations go on and on and on. So we've got a solid offer. We've got a strong partner in Kubernetes. And as I said, it correlates very well to the cloud as you need to move applications, move workloads across multiple infrastructures in that hybrid cloud environment. You can't just you know, rip and replace. You need to be able to contain, secure, and move. And that, in essence, is, is what containers do. And then the third offer that we have is a software-defined storage product. It's built on a platform called Ceph. And Ceph, again, is an open source product that deals with the open source community. So there are literally millions of developers across the globe who are part of these active communities. And with our software-defined storage product offer, it's a little bit different than anything else in the industry because our product is node-based as far as the structure goes. So what that means is you need more capacity, you add another server. You don't add an array. You don't have to forklift a stack. It's very pliable. Again, we're going back to that Gumby, Stretch Armstrong thing. That's a great way to look at our software-defined storage offer because of the fact that capacity is a server, not spending thousands of dollars on more capacity, whether it's adding arrays, adding blocks, whatever that might be. Those three product offers are really where our company not only is going, but where we've gone. We've committed to them. They are answers to market demand and things that we are getting more and more traction daily in the marketplace. Wow, Mike, that is some phenomenal information for the audience. Thank you so much for providing that. I will say, once we get Craig booted off this podcast, we will finally be answering our own market demand here at Channel Partners. <laughs> well done. Excellent. Well, I, well, I had an open source joke ready for your expense, but uh, I won't go there. <laughs> Probably the better for everyone listening. So, Mike, just want to say 
thank you so much again for joining. Thank you for SUSE's support of the Channel Partners Evolution event. We look forward to seeing more of everything you're doing over there in the weeks, months, years to come. And, uh, you know, hope we get to connect in person sometime soon. Absolutely. That'd be great. I do know that my team actually was involved with your latest conference in the Philadelphia area. And it was very, very good. Uh, we made some great connections. We established some relationships with some peer companies that we hadn't been able to. So it, uh, all the feedback that I got from my team was, was very, very positive. So it, uh, it was a great event. Outstanding. You must be familiar with our $5 check in the mail for those referrals and those nice comments, Mike. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> it's on its way. <laughs> we'll be talking soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. Great stuff from SUSE there, Craig. A lot of good information on open source and Linux for our partner audience. Speaking of all these technologies, Craig, let's get back to the Channel Futures website. As I understand it, the topic of security is going to play a mammoth role, buddy. Yeah, I teased that a little bit earlier. Uh, we're going to be focusing a lot on security, uh, particularly managed security service providers. And we're talking about MSSPs here. Uh, we're dubbing a page on the new Channel Futures website, the MSSP Insider. So we're going to have a lot of great information for uh, not only MSSPs, but also for any managed service providers that are looking to get into the security space and might be wanting to dub themselves MSSPs. So we've got a number of new writers and some of our current staff uh, that are dedicated to this topic. We're really looking forward to getting this page on the new Channel Futures website launched because I, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for our partner audience, and it's just going to be packed with info that they can use. I can only imagine, Craig, I think it's perfect timing to be launching this type of website because, as we know, uh, in this day and age, everything needs to be secure. Everything you're doing over technology, over other people's networks on the internet, it needs to be secure. I mean, if the big timers like a Facebook can get hacked, if these people that have led the league in technology, I'd like to say, are getting hacked, um, you can only imagine what happens to these end user customers, the small and medium sized businesses. Uh, I once heard that trying to avoid an employee getting hacked is like trying to push the ocean back with a broom. So did I just say broom? Craig, I, I meant I, broom. I believe you did. I meant broom. Uh, there isn't a two syllables in that <laughs> double O there. But uh, I think that's very well said because every employee is a risk factor, unknowingly, unintentionally, but uh, they need that education and they need the help of partners out there that are experts in security. So definitely the right time for this type of website. Well done to you and the team there for coming up with this. You know, our podcast is also a perfect example of something that should have a little more baked in security so that people like James Anderson uh, cannot make it onto the show. But uh, apparently he's still here and we're going to get back to him apparently making a play for your job. Craig, I thought that, you know, we said we'd like him to stick around, but he got the hint that we were hoping, yeah. you know, we'd already promoted him enough. I mean, the guy likes his elbows. He won an award. I mean, what, what else does he need? We're going to do this again? I'm not great at reading between the lines or, or picking <laughs> up social media. <laughs> maybe maybe this sure. podcast is being transcribed to you. Sure, yeah. It's a millennial thing, I think. So, James, how about another fantastic transcription for us? This time, Kevin, why don't you play the role of the interviewee? How's that sound? I'll give it a shot. I'm not very good at reading things, so bear with me. So this was an interview with a global carrier talking about the expansion of their network 
good conversation, kind of a, a conversation about some previous acquisitions. And that the first sentence is going to indicate that they're talking about their growing portfolio. But uh, where it goes from there, I mean, you honestly have to tell us. Ready for this, Kevmo? Let's do it. All right. With supporting these technologies, we have a choice. I think the right to know what to make the customer's requirements. I think that's a fair point. Question, question. Well, I think the likes of Franco haven't mentioned the news that we're supporting. The fact that we can do whatever it is. The UN security services like social services from within home within the working class. Well, we can't all be wrong because any combination of those. So I don't think anyone has ever IVF for you, your customers and all. Most countries around the world. Werman, if you were the brunt storest offerings, then you think that's right and chained will appear in appraisals? But those are some of the things that I will buy one for a point on the discussing you are doing it because we have a platform to really be rolling with the customer locations of all our other sites, as well as here helps you is an eye for an eye was cross crossing a no took a real man one of my so we bought a song streamlining and shoulders above all the other key points that are out there in the market catching up. So when you're at work right now, the end result of your remote office, just so you know, more of the more of those opposing and activities you can't get so more difficult. You down? Oh, okay. No. Bye bye. Okay, great. Now we saw Freddy doesn't work. You know, they just don't have personnel there. So I would say yes, but also needs of connectivity. Very well done, guys. Very well done. Um, a couple of things really stood out uh, to me if I'm doing some analysis here. Uh, Kevin pointing out that it took a real man. Uh, that was a little sexist on your part, or emasculating, one of the two. I, I, I was wondering how you feel about that. Hey, I was just reading the lines they gave me, like a Laurence Olivier or a Brad Pitt, if you will, which I've also been, been confused for in person. So don't, <laughs> don't look at me for that. I was just trying to get my Oscar. Kevin, Next. you are streamlining and shoulders above all the other key points. Just just keep that in mind. That's that's how I feel about you. Uh, you know, and the rest of the market is catching up. My next question here was, who's Werman? Werman's uh, that's actually a, high, a junior high nickname that I that I have. That that was just. I mean, don't don't ask for details on that. But that is how I. There, there's no way you're gonna drop Werman. Werman, I'm a merman, baby. But uh, <laughs> no, it's. There's no way you're dropping that on this podcast and thinking we're not going to ask the natural podcast question here. Elaborate. I was, in, I was in two things when I was in junior high. I liked werewolves and I liked mermaids. But obviously I wasn't going to be a mermaid. I was going to be a merman. But I also thought werewolves were cool. So I was a wereman. Okay. And, it's, and they called me that. It's like, hey, wereman, where you been, bro? And I was like, oh, bro, I was out in the field being a wereman. So, Craig, can we revoke James's... Uh... Channel's got talent, Victory, and, and basically start this podcast over with someone else? Uh, yes, I wanted to do that in the first place, uh, if you recall, so so absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> James, we're, we're only kidding, buddy. All right, so Kevin, <laughs> we haven't heard from Digi, our digital services robot mascot in a while. That's a real shame, Craig. Yeah, I know how you feel, but he's actually got one of these crazy transcriptions for us. Are you ready? I guess. <laughs> I have a feeling how it's going to sound. Craig, as I predicted, that sounds just like the same old stuff we always hear from Digi. Kevin, you clearly don't speak robot. 
I can interpret. He said, why don't you get on with it and introduce a real guest, not just another channel partner staffer who's working this podcast for free. You know, typically I'd insult what Digi said, but in this case, I think I have to agree with him. All right, Kevin. So we've been talking about security in this podcast. Really excited to welcome in Rosanna Pellegrino. Rosanna, Rosanna. She is the Senior Vice President, Sales and Business Development with Digital Defense. Rosanna, how are you? Great. Glad to be on with you, gentlemen. Well, we're glad to have you here. And the fact that you called us gentlemen already, uh, we're really glad to have you. <laughs> Excellent. You know, by the name, it's pretty obvious that Digital Defense does security. Uh, but for those in our audience who aren't familiar with the company, tell us a little more about it and maybe some of the specific solutions that you offer via the channel. Sure. Uh, happy to. So Digital Defense is a security as a service platform. We are a SaaS offering that actually sits within AWS and offers vulnerability management programs as part of an overall security offering for organizations that includes vulnerability scanning, prioritization of remediation, kind of helps organizations kind of streamline that process. And then additionally, through services, which can be offered through our channel partners is pen testing, web application pen testing, social engineering, based on the vulnerabilities and security risks that we identify within our platform. So, you know, from a, you know, partner perspective, from a channel perspective, there's a lot of what's referred to as drag. So initially using our platform to do some preliminary finds, they end up discovering additional services that they can wrap around that. Wow, Rosanna, that sounds great. Uh, I'll tell you, do you have anything that can help podcasts? Because definitely have a vulnerability problem with Craig here on the on the show. <laughs> well, there are some ways in which you can find user vulnerabilities, but not through a, a, a vulnerability platform like that. You know, it, it's really what it is, is, is making it easy, right? I mean, organizations today are very buried in, you know, trying to combat the adversaries, right, that are constantly trying to find ways to, to breach them. And, you know, I call it the easy button, is making it easy for the end user, which then therefore makes it easier for our partners to engage with those end users. So. That's very well said. I'm sure our partners listening like to hear that. Anything with an easy button in it, I'm all about. So I'm, I'm sure they like to hear that too. You've recently restructured uh, the Digital Defense Channel Program. Please explain the types of partners you have and what the main goal was in the restructuring. The reason for the restructuring was to better serve our channel community, right? It, you know, to making sure that there's the right types of deal regs and, you know, obviously the, the fundamentals of the program but also to build it in such a way where they can become very successful. What we offer them is the platform, the ability for them to be able to manage their clients through the platform because it can actually serve as a co-branded platform. So for example, if I've got channel partner A and they've got their customer uh, set and they want to see the vulnerabilities for that client so that they can go remediate or offer recommendations, well today, based on how some of these our solutions are architected, they're not multi-tenant. So the partners can't go in and see the results. We offer our partners to have like a co-branded company A powered by digital defense. All their customers are there. They can log in. They can see a single painted glass and then see the risks or vulnerabilities within that organization that they can then say, hey, Mr. Customer, and be proactive, right? And say, hey, Mr. Customer, you've got this vulnerability issue. We can help remediate or update or pull through additional opportunities for them as partners. There's that easy button again. Uh, sounds like uh, things that our audience will want to hear for sure. You mentioned AWS, Rosanna. I wanted to talk about some of the big integrations uh, you've announced recently. 
Uh, how are those helping your customers and the partner community? So, you know, honestly, I feel integrations are built around customer use cases and to fit correctly within their ecosystem. As you talk about, and I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, the direction of organizations today that they're moving to putting things in the cloud platform. You know, AWS is one, Azure, we support Google, IBM, Oracle, you know, all the different cloud platforms. And, you know, having said that, as customers move to that environment, right, or that platform, they're looking for security solutions. Because we are natively a SaaS offering, the ability for us to scan and deploy is very quick. It's time to understand risk, right? Don't tell me it's going to take me six weeks to deploy because I'm, I could be exposed in that six-week time frame. You know, for us, mm-hmm. it's hours, it may be not days. And then working within the customer's ecosystem. So, you know, I've got my Forescout or McAfee or Archer solution within the environment. And then, you know, how do we fit in? How's the information that we provide for them? Because we scan hybrid environments, we collect that data. It all looks the same within their platforms. It's not represented differently. We don't collect it differently. It's all consistent and clean so that these platforms can then take this information and then execute against it, right? One example is we have a patent around uh, host reconciliation. So if you scan last Monday and you scan this coming Monday, there is a portion of your environment that an IP address has changed or something has changed within the environment. So in scanning with other technologies, those hosts appear as net new hosts. And the original scan uh, identification is now a dormant host when really it's the same host. So we reconcile it. We actually have a patent against it. So it reconciles it. So the information that we fit into these platforms is clean and deconflicted so that they can then, when they get that data, actually execute on it. You know, like Forescout can kick off a scan with us or quarantine it, or McAfee can deploy an agent or deploy a security policy around it. Rosanna, that is outstanding information for our partners there. And I like the host reconciliation because, as I'm sure you're feeling right now, many of our guests are probably looking for some host reconciliation after working with us two idiots. <laughs> Can we reconcile that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's a problem that organizations have today. There's a lot of noise, right? And everybody's like, well, I'm looking for that need, especially when you're talking about security, right? And indicators of compromise and vulnerability. Everybody's looking for that needle in the haystack. Well, if you've got this huge haystack, and then we can call it down for you and just say, okay, it's a clean stack of needles. And then within the needles, we can prioritize which one you need. That really helps them out quite a bit, and it becomes relevant to their environment. So again, I go back to my earlier statement. We develop use cases before we develop the integration to make sure that we're solving a business problem for customers and not just checking a a box to say, yeah, we're integrated with these guys. Outstanding. And put in a language that even I could understand. So well done there, Rosanna. And you know, seeing that you're a security expert, we're going to put you on the spot here. What are some of the major cybersecurity threats we should keep in mind as 2019 approaches? And what should customers and partners do to prepare? Well, I think it's evolving, right? So I think there are three things that organizations need to be cognizant of, right? Is Number one is know what you've got within your environment, which means well, what are my assets? And correctly identify those assets. Understanding the vulnerabilities of those assets within your environment. And then do I have a remediation program in place? And what those things are telling you is that I know what I've got. I know my vulnerabilities. I know my remediation process. Then you're better prepared as these adversaries, they just cycle through. They're looking for those vulnerabilities. They're looking for those gaps within everybody's environment. 
to kind of pinhole, right? I mean, you know, you've got like these vulnerabilities, right? You've got these breaches, you've got all these things, but really what they're doing is they're taking advantage of this issue that's been in your environment for a long time. It's not like a net new, it's just they figured out how to exploit it today. So if you're constantly monitoring and patching, that's one way to stay ahead of it, right? I'm, you know, I don't believe personally in ambulance chasing, right? Because I always think it's so unfortunate for an organization to get breached and compromised, right? These guys are working mm-hmm. really hard from the customer perspective and the partner perspective. So, you know, I just think it's it's good hygiene, right? That's really what I, I break down I, I break it down to. I hope that answered your question. I know you're probably looking for more nuggets, but I, I think it's it's just good practice. It's certainly an evolving landscape. Uh, Rosanna, I want to thank you for taking the time today. We we talked a lot about integrations on this uh, podcast today, and uh, fortunately, you've integrated some intelligence into it because uh, what Kevin and I are bringing is totally devolving at this point. <laughs> no, you guys, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's understanding, right? I mean, even from your perspective, right? It's it's understanding the questions to ask and and how to help your audience understand and, and bring partners. Which I'm fortunate you brought digital, digital defense in to kind of talk through that so that they can understand that there are vendors out there that are conscious of the channel community and want to be supportive of them. So I I actually give you guys kudos on that. How about that? We'll have to bring her back again, Kevin. What do you think? No no doubt about it. Speaking of reconciliation, (laughs) Rosanna knows of our $5 referral policy. So uh, look out for the five bucks, Rosanna, coming soon. That's a nice cup of coffee. Are you kidding me? That's right. That's right. I like (laughs) the way you think. (laughs) Thanks for your time today, and uh, we wish you happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. All right, Kevin, security is such a big play in the channel right now. Great to hear from Rosanna and what digital defense is doing. For sure, Craig, for sure. Hey, buddy, do we happen to have time for one more of James's crazy transcriptions? I know we give him a hard time, but I'm truthfully enjoying these. Well, until the boss calls us and cancels the podcast, I figure we can go as long as we want. James, what do you got? I'll read the answers on this one if you don't mind, Kev. Is this a a different uh, interview here? Well, this one is uh, the first vendor we talked to. um, We're talking about uh, SD-WAN, one of the things that we write a lot about on channelpartnersonline.com and Channel Futures. Talking about uh, routing and application paths and that sort of thing. And, you know, it went somewhere, bro. (laughs) All right. All right. Let's have it. Let's, uh, why don't you get us started here? Okay. Is there anything in the system you can do? We're talking about not having to use, you know, expensive pillows. Any Anything in the study that is kind of a matrix for expressing your perspective, that kind of shows customer attitudes regarding, and tell us if you know when everybody was in one building, having an expensive flight path. But now you start to find out the first thing you did. You just put it in an expensive car. Not so. That's why it's not about why you actually need to be pushing the controls out of your site. So you know this might be... You know, just take office building to other farm systems that were watching over the network, yapping unexpectedly fireworks for that. But now I've got remote offices still on systems, still on me, but I can't get a 20% off. So the next day, I go get out. We have technology, but eventually we have Spencer for those. And there we go. Kevin, wow. what kind of questions do you have about this? So many questions, Craig. I don't even know where to begin. Um, the other farm systems that they're watching over the network. That sounds kind of like a Enemy of the State movie back in the 90s starring Will Smith. Do they know me? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, mm, yeah. Like, what, what, are, what are we watching over the network? Uh, and then I guess I would also ask about the yapping unexpectedly fireworks for that. 
I'm not exactly sure what that means. And who's Spencer or what is Spencer? I think we're talking about Spencer for hire here back from the uh, 80s. Isn't that right, James? I mean, he's playing a crucial role. I, I don't, I completely missed that reference. But um, yeah, he's, he is uh, just a guy who is workmanlike and, and he's better than technology, it seems. And he's always Another for hire. not to have millennials on the show, Kevin. Uh, Robert Urich, buddy. The 90s. Yeah. Robert Urich, my friend. We weren't going to sit down to tea, though. One other take I had here was the mention of an expensive car. And in the last one, we had a, a mention of an Audi. So I'm kind of wondering if you weren't actually just talking about vehicles in this uh, series here rather than technology. Are you moonlighting for another publication? Yep, I'm working for uh, for J.D. Power. Um, I'm a really <laughs> successful writer. Either that or Audi came up with that transcription app and uh, just gets their plugs in there when you least expect it. That's genius. Yeah, native advertising is, is something else nowadays, guys. <laughs> that well is most said. likely it. Well, James, thank you for your time today. This was quite amusing. Kevin, are, are we pleased that we uh, read through these transcriptions? Because uh, clearly they were effective in helping James get his job done here. Yeah, uh, they were something. Well, guys, I appreciate you putting up with the shenanigans. Always an honor to be on here. Thanks so much. Shenanigans is our middle name. Thanks, buddy. We'll be talking to you. Well done, yep. James. Well done. And I think, Kevin, that we should probably bring this podcast to a close on that note, because it was about as nonsensical of a podcast as I can remember. Agreed in full, my friend. Why don't you hit them with the uh, info, just in case they somehow give us another chance. You can find the archive of Coffee with Craig and Kevin on SoundCloud, on iTunes, uh, just search Channel Partners Online, or of course you can find them on ChannelPartnersOnline.com. We hope you'll check us out. Thanks for listening today, everybody, and uh, we hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Have a good one. Gobble, gobble. Love to eat turkey, cause it's good. Love to eat turkey like a good boy should, cause it's turkey to eat so good. <laughs>